Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. episode of really true fiction my name is luke mason and i hail to you from the city of calgary citizenry and my name is david parker and i hail from the canadian citizenry whoa went federal hey? <laughs> yeah woo. Ooh, went national on me there <laughs> just up in the game <laughs> so we're hoping you're all doing great today uh this is episode 10 for us which is pretty crazy to think about just how much fun it's been to do that We've actually piled up to a decade now. Man, a decade in in two months. (laughs) And uh, we are today doing the movie Aladdin, the Disney film, not the live action film. Because neither of us have actually seen the live action film yet. Yeah, so we're actually recording this a couple weeks after the live action film has come out into theaters. And I won't pass any judgment on how the previews look or anything, but only the animated version of this movie <laughs> it struck either of us as worth doing for the podcast and this is going to be really interesting because this aladdin is um like growing up my family we had about 10 movies te- about 10 vhs we had rescuers down under we had peter a pan yeah also we a had great film. robin hood we had a couple non-disney movies but homeward bound i would imagine yeah was one homeward of those. Bound, yep. yeah and homeward bound too yeah. The one is, yeah. I think it's like Escape from San Francisco not, or not, something. Not like as that. good as Homeward Bound One. Definitely not a no. good sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was when Michael J. Fox was the dog, right? Chance. Yeah, Chance that's true. Dog. That's true. Yeah, that and it was, was a good. He, I he think did Sally a good Field job. was the cat too. <laughs> wow. Yeah, those are great movies. Man, those those are they stick in your memory. That that scene where they're they coming over the field and then Chance doesn't come and yeah. you know Peter Where's, is so upset. No, I think it's I think it's Shadow that doesn't come. You're right. It's Shadow. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But then Shadow comes. When Shadow eventually comes. I'm yeah. coming, Peter. <laughs> Just, oh. I'm coming. It's very emotional. Even when I watch it now, you kind of tear up a little bit. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> Aladdin was one of the few movies that I had. But I remember as a kid, I'd watch it probably every month. So I knew it inside and out. And yet, for this podcast, it was the first time you've ever seen it. The first time I've ever witnessed this Disney film. I don't know why it just wasn't in my family's repertoire. So... Is it possible that it had a sorcerer? I think it was probably because there was a sorcerer and magic and those things. But, you know, parents try to raise their kids the best they can. So. <laughs> the Grand Vizier. <laughs> Ugh, magic is bad, guys. Magic get is bad. Get that out of here. <laughs> so this is interesting in that it's a movie that I know so well and you've seen once. What was your first impression of Aladdin, the animated well, I think it's weird watching it uh, as an older person, well, or a middle-aged person, I suppose, because you... <laughs> I hope you're not middle-aged already. <laughs> well, at the beginning of middle age, perhaps, but it's just interesting to... How about the end of young age? Okay, you know, I'm in the in the, <laughs> the golden years of my youth. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> anyway, I really enjoyed it. I, I think Disney, they do a phenomenal job with most anything they put out, 
and I'm really, really pleased with how I felt about this movie. You get lots of great emotions. I would say their their view of romance maybe is a little bit twisted. Yeah, I mean, this is literally a cartoon version of relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but th- these things are things like you said that you watched a lot when you were younger, and I think they can they can sink into our minds and really affect how we view how people should relate to one another. Uh, that's almost certainly true. I don't know if I'd lay that just at the feet of Aladdin. Though. No, no, no. I, I would. That's I'd a more Disney, maybe Disney in type general thing in a broader scope. For me because I hadn't seen this movie in so long, there's actually so many jokes that I never would have got as a kid. Isn't that the, <laughs> the genius of Disney, though? Like, yeah. In my opinion, it's the genius of not, Disney. Not they make parents kind jokes. of want to watch it, yeah. right? <laughs> not, not like dirty jokes, but just cultural references. There's a Jack Nicholson reference. Yeah, in, that was actually in, really well done. The, the, the genie, yeah. Never would have got as a kid. Even like at the beginning of the movie when the merchant who's telling the story says he has a hookah like as a kid i would have never known what a hookah was you see i think disney cares about parents right they're like i want to give them something because they're going to watch this over and over again so at least they can get some you know jokes from that sure i mean i feel like it might have something to do with more of the parents' wallets. Well, no, <laughs> but I, they care about the parents' wallets. But actually, perhaps. everyone knows that Disney is great and awesome, and no one can say anything bad about them ever. And no one at this podcast thinks there's anything wrong with Disney for all of time. We love you, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were not a company, but rather a deity, so I could worship you evermore. <laughs> Just keep making money on your stock, please. <laughs> but I do think Aladdin is a pinnacle. It was the continuation of what I guess they call the Disney Renaissance from when Little Mermaid came out. I think it was, Little Mermaid came out in 89. And then Beauty and the Beast was 91, I think. So Aladdin was the next movie. And then Lion King was the next really big movie after Aladdin. So those four movies from 89 and 94 have really, like, were, were the catapulting Disney back into grandeur, I think, after a tougher decade in the 80s. <laughs> And uh, Aladdin just holds its own, you know, with those heavy hitters like Lion King and Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Like Aladdin is just as good, I think, as any of those other three movies. And like if you look at all three of or four of those, rather, they all have just so much cultural significance for our generation, but also four generations after us, too. Like you even look at humor, the Lion King's involved in humor, but so is Aladdin. Like I can show you the world. That song is pretty much known by almost everyone yeah like, i knew the song are, and i never watched it the songs are great the humor is incredible like how overwhelmingly incredible was robin williams oh he's always his performances are always amazing I, even when i was watching that i actually thought about goodwill hunting mm-hmm. and thought about how diverse he is just as an actor like, right that he can do that but then he can be this absolutely insane genie guy and uh who's just making unending cultural references that aladdin obviously doesn't get and none of the kids do so it's just for parents yeah <laughs> but it's great the like, genies for parents the genies for parents <laughs> and everyone loves them <laughs> yeah oh man i just was howling some of his jokes they're so fast too right like they made the genie essentially robin williams <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it was his sense of humor was there. He, I mean, you can't really separate the two because it's, like our idea of Robin Williams is encapsulated exactly. In the genie. Like it doesn't feel like it's Robin Williams playing a genie. It feels like Robin Williams being Robin Williams, and then just putting some blue 
animation on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, oh, okay. And and he is like the way that Robin Williams' mind works and worked in all of his work. It's just like, man, is this guy an alien? Which I believe he was on Mork and Mindy. Was he not? Oh yeah, no, it's true. He he was and he acted an alien at one point. But you're I right. It's it. just I it's, knew it was wrong. <laughs> it's so sporadic, right? Like. Yeah. His his mind is not I wouldn't say ADD but he's like he's constantly making connections in yeah. a way that we all love watching but I don't I think most of our minds don't work and he's putting like an ending onto a joke or an idea before his audience or like the person he's talking to even knows what he the joke was right like he's already moving on to the connection he's made to a joke. It's like when before he's the Aladdin B. has any idea. It's what like he's when he's the bee and he's talking in his ear, and then yeah. he's like, "Believe in yourself," and <laughs> yeah. then he just wanders on. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, then he, when he's the bee whispering to Aladdin, aka Ali, Prince Ali, Ali Ababwa. Ababwa, right? That's what it is, Ababwa, not yes. Abubu. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the Jafar calls him. Yeah, Abubu. I was, Abubu. I wonder if that's. You think they got the same voice actor for Yogi Bear? Probably not. <laughs> Yogi Bear's hey, a lot older, I think. He's like, anything. Wonderful, kind, beautiful, punctual. Punctual. Punctual? <laughs> and that's the one that Aladdin uses. He's like, yeah. Punct- you're so punctual. <laughs> She's like, this is how you're trying to make me feel better? I'm very how timely? How you're wooing me? <laughs> uh, yeah, but... I really wanted to do a movie that was so deeply ingrained in my childhood and probably, I don't think, the only movie as a kid I might have watched more would have been Robin Hood. Yeah, I mean, I think Robin Hood was definitely a huge part of my childhood. But Aladdin, I can understand. It's just there's so much there that a a kid can grab hold of, right? It's like this whole idea of not being good enough and the world not knowing who you really are that is obviously slapped in your face very clearly but also that's something a kid thinks they're like people don't realize who i am they don't really know me it's a perennial human problem (laughs) yep who knows aladdin at the start aladdin he has got to be like the most easygoing charismatic homeless person (laughs) yeah i was thinking (laughs) about that when i started watching i'm like He's just Man, cool. This guy is very happy for having nothing and living in like some broken down building. And like. he can jump through across buildings with no apparently no fear. And also like <laughs> falling doesn't seem to be a problem for him. He's it's just a, like I'm it's gonna... a tactic. <laughs> yeah. Falling just... is a tactic for Aladdin. <laughs> he just knows he's gonna land on some awning or something's gonna break his fall. Yeah. It won't be him that window shutters get shut on, only the guards. Yeah, like honestly, the guy's kind of kissed by fate. Things are going go go well for him when they probably shouldn't. Like, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I I definitely thought he would have been killed in real life. Oh yeah, for sure. But <laughs> like either by falling or in that particular society. Yeah, he'd be dead. <laughs> he, one of the things is he apparently has to steal every day. <laughs> That's the only and, way he can eat. So and Agrabah, I guess, is a big city, but it's not so big that if you're a thief every day there where the penalty is your hand gets chopped off, I feel like eventually you'd get caught or recognized. Yeah. And yeah. Like I mean, there'd be reward posters. It seems like they already recognize them. Weirdly enough, in this large city, there there appear to be only like 20 guards in, in the whole city. So. <laughs> and they all kind of know <laughs> and him. And they all know him. Street rat. But they can't seem to find him or yeah, but, catch him. So, yeah, I was like, okay, well... <laughs> doesn't seem hard to catch him though when Jafar's like I want that guy in the palace then, of all you know. of maybe maybe I'm just being so unnecessarily 
stubborn on this point because I don't think this is maybe the point that most should stick in my craw of like, oh, this is not a realistic movie. But well, I mean, it is Disney. So but, I mean... I, but I was thinking like, oh, oh, my God, Aladdin, this guy, he's fun, but he would definitely get killed in this society real fast. I can swallow a lot, but not... <laughs> Not a lad. Not that's where you draw disbelievable the line, hey, social punishments, <laughs> and in a and general just a general incompetence of law enforcement. You who, can't swallow that. Who could believe that? <laughs> so there's that first kind of scene where he's he has his street rat song. He's singing, and the, I don't know if it's the guy who voices Aladdin. He's a really good singer. Whoever sings the parts that Aladdin sings is a great singer. Um, so we get that rigmarole of him dancing around. Okay, you can jump around the cities. You're really, you're really clever. You're smarter than the guards. You can get away. You can get your bread. It kind of seems like he only wants the bread if he can get away. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, I mean, he, like he, he wants the at, chase too. At, at least you know he seems hungry. But then we see that he gives the food away. I mean, I love this this idea, which seems to be prevalent in Disney, but I think prevalent in the human imagination too, or it wouldn't be prevalent in Disney. Yeah, I. It's a trope. I think. Yeah, of the ruffian who is actually really kind hearted and trying to yep. and will is willing to take care of others when the when the time. Well, arises. yeah, and I mean, if you imagine, it's really hard to do. But if you, well, I guess it's not hard for you, but because <laughs> you just watch it. But like, if you were watching Aladdin for the first time. Well, maybe you could speak to this. That whole first scene, like if you were to take the point of view of the person he stole the bread from or the guards who are trying to uphold the laws of the city or even the people whose houses he trashes when he runs through them. Like this is a Aladdin is pretty fairly labeled a troublemaker, I would say. Right. Like he's definitely being an upset to the order of the society, let's say. Oh, oh, for sure. (laughs) I was actually thinking about that during it. I was like. Those poor merchants, you know, they probably have really bad margins and all their food, <laughs> and he's he's really breaking down their, yeah. you know, they're, they're gonna have to factor that into their next price yeah. In, increases and yeah. Well, and I don't mean not to go down the road either of like, well, maybe a society should work better for helping its lowest rungs. Yes, of course, and it is a trope where we see all these, I guess, for lack of a better term, these kind of vices of a person. And they're even though Aladdin himself is charming in a way that could be fairly evaluated it's still like oh these are not good things aladdin is doing kind of thing but what happens in that scene where it's the two little kids and he share he gives them his bread and he basically guilts abu into giving him his bread and abu yeah, doesn't abu want, does to, not want to give his abu bread. also has a heart of gold it's just a little deeper i guess and then also he defends the little boy when he runs out in the street he takes the whiplash from the I guess suitor or well, this, another sultan maybe I don't know what he is. Some he's kind of a prince, prince. Yeah, yeah, something. So yeah, it's this kind of really cool idea that I think we'll probably talk about more in other episodes because I have noticed it in other really good movies too, where we're left a little bit dangling off the hop about someone until in like a really deep moment they do something really good, right? And then you're like, oh, okay. And that that really builds an emotional fondness for Aladdin when he does that. And I think it also lets him get away with more later. Once you know, oh, he's a good dude. In a deep, important life moment, like sharing food with starving children, which I'd be interested to talk to the person who thought that wasn't a good thing to do. Yes. I would love actually to talk to that person. So forget about getting into very deep meta ethics about things like just a kind of a normative good thing that is very deep in a society and yet 
now, okay, you can probably go back to your shenanigans, Aladdin. And even if before I wasn't charmed by you, I probably will be now because be like, oh, that's just Aladdin being Aladdin, you know. But he'll he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> like you know? we we saw him do something pretty good, so we we feel good about him. Now. And I think this is a, not a bad metric for finding out. I think this is kind of plays into the psychology of why we let our friends get away with some of the things we let our friends get away with in less serious moments because we are the ones who have seen them in a good moment doing a good thing. Like we can contextualize them. Yeah. And maybe the world hasn't. Right. right? And, yeah. And I mean, think, I mean, you meet someone randomly and maybe they are, they're really drunk and, and angry and they're trying to fight with you and their friends are like, no, no, just, you know, don't fight. And they pull them back. That probably has a lot to do with exactly what you said. They're, they know this person. They're contextualizing. Maybe they had a breakup, whatever it is. They're contextualizing this random anger from this person and saying, no, we still love this guy. Mm-hmm. Well, so from the perspective of the movie, the only people who know what Aladdin did are the two kids, Abu and Aladdin, and us, the audience. None of the other characters... All the other characters still could potentially just see Aladdin as this kind of street rat, thief, annoying, will tolerate you at best kind of thing. But because we, the audience, have been let in on a kind of a secret, almost, into his character that no one else knows, automatically, obviously, we just focus on him as, like, the hero now. <laughs> if the title of the movie didn't give it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? If we but, were unsure of who the hero but was. But this develops a kind of... Like, we're on Aladdin's side now in a way that no one else in the movie can really be yet because we've been let into this little secret of his character. And I think that's actually kind of a similar mechanism for why friends defend their friends to people who know them way less because part of friendship is being let in on secrets. And you get more information, and then more information humanizes a person, and it makes them much more... And and then, like, good friends just... You go way further back into the past. You know way more about them. You know their hardships, and you know the really good things that they've done. And even if it was 10 years ago, and they're doing something now that is isolating or alienating or making other people not like them, and then they're like, why are you friends with this guy or girl or whatever? And then, like, well... It's not that easy because or I have say, seen oh, those other things. Guy, right? Like yeah. they'll use some trite example of what you're actually explaining on a deeper level. They'll say, oh, he's a nice guy. But what they're really saying is, I know these things about him. You couldn't possibly know because I've known him for all this time. And I wonder, actually, here's an interesting thought. Do people change, but people still remember the good past of those people? And so they defend them because of a past self that they know when maybe they've become no longer that person. Uh, that seems very likely. If I think about friends from high school that I maybe haven't seen six, seven years, eight years, there is a kind of like remembering what they were like that I still attribute to them. I mean, I've had a few experiences in the last five years of my life where I'll see a friend from high school that I haven't seen for a long time before that. And I kind of have, I guess, passively or subconsciously assumed they're kind of what they were like when they were 19. And obviously when they're 29, they're not. Right? No, like, I, mean, just... we, I mean, we all change so much. Yeah. I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, right? Because it is good to have positive things attributed to you and have people know those things about you. But I think about Aladdin, 
he doesn't attribute that positive stuff to himself. He doesn't like himself. He wants to change. That's all he wants. He doesn't want to be who he is anymore. Uh, and he's and he kind of hates who he is. And his dream is to be complete, just the complete opposite of who he is. Well, and so even Aladdin doesn't attribute the positive qualities that we do as a viewer by seeing him do this positive act. And of course, the irony being that Aladdin is most liked by the people who are the most authentic when he's just being Aladdin the street rat. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But just to ruminate a little bit on what your earlier question was, I think that when it comes to friendship, you kind of keep a what would you call it like a an unofficial tally of for lack of a better term to put into two categories the good and the bad of what another person has done and even if you haven't seen them for a while if it's a bunch of good things then when a bad thing is they're doing maybe something not great or not easy to swallow by the people around them who don't know them as well like for a lot of those people if they're just new to this person it's like oh here's right out of the gate and it's a bad thing (laughs) right so you're already starting in the hole or behind the eight ball with these people and i think that over time if you have enough of these yeah even like obviously friends will grow away from you too but i I do think my guess is just even at the level of psychology you kind of keep subconscious tallies on and maybe what it's friends not have even done a to tally. fill your bucket. Maybe it's like a, a level, right? And there's yeah, like or yeah. a scale, right? Yeah. And and if the scale's tipped really hard, do I love this person? It's going to take a lot of shitty yes. things to push it up yeah. to I no longer want to be around this person. Yeah. And even in relationships that happens, right? Where if you really care about someone, they can end up doing a lot of shitty things to you and around you, and you're still going to love them because that, that scale may be hasn't tipped over yet but when it does yeah you're gonna break up or you're gonna hate them or whatever but a lot of it was because they'd done all these good things that you just valued so much or they'd said these things that that meant something to you i completely agree i think that's a really good insight i I think it's interesting that a lad doesn't seem to see that about himself he doesn't seem to value the fact that he fed these kids this is just who he is that's just something he does in a spirit of being himself well, from a Disney point of view, that's so he can have somewhere to go. Yes, yes, <laughs> but absolutely. I think when we are led into this to Aladdin's secret, essentially that he's actually super great and shares with kids, it it's like, okay, what is that secret for so many other people that I haven't been let on, let in on, and how do I find that out about them so that I can kind of get to know their core a little bit better that's something i'm always interested in it's like okay and especially with people that maybe strike me as unpleasant or obnoxious or ostentatious or something like that it's a work in progress but it's a developing heuristic i have where i'm like okay what's their secret what's their left to their own devices good thing that they're willing to do for other people that we don't see what what do they do that's good when nobody's watching right because you always hear who you are is really where does their conscience guide yeah because conscience your conscience is not really like uh, a sexy dinner table topic. No, right? it's or not something you sit around. It's not, it's know, not it's something you shoot the shit with the people say, at the bar. Yeah, how does this new decision grind on your ethical framework? <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, in a moment of honesty, I think it's probably something a lot of people are at least subconsciously looking for in their closest relationships with other people. So, 
it's I think it's something that people don't even necessarily want to expose, but you should look for. Yeah. Right? I mean, if they're trying to expose it, that might be a sign that it's not necessarily even the most important thing about them. But it's that thing to look for. It's those quiet moments where your friends or your family do something for you or for another person and you and you see the beauty of of their desire to do good in the world or their their better selves, let's say. And I don't think it's even necessary to, to point that out to other people about themselves. It's something to cherish about them without polluting it with flattery or praise, right? Yeah. So I don't know. That was a cool little Yeah, thing I like from that. The That's a great scene. thought. Yeah. Um, so yes, to continue on with this idea of Aladdin not feeling like he's, I guess, worth it or good enough, and he just wants to transform into his ideal of what's worth it. So he's got like that view of the palace, and that's what really is meaningful to him at the start of the movie. And he says, I'm a fool, so he feels like he isn't worth being loved. You know, there's that scene in the beginning when Jasmine's with him where she's trying to see the world and he just wants to get to the palace and so he's developed all of this kind of like he's totally idealized and romanticized the other life and there's that great moment in i guess aladdin's apartment (laughs) i guess we could call it that his his living situation finest How do you get? How do you this get? This is a high the, class living oh, that he has there. You know what? Penthouse. That's a penthouse. <laughs> you know suite. what? It was pretty high up. He's got a good view. <laughs> Both Aladdin and Jasmine, at the exact same moment, say that they feel trapped. And of course, the irony again being that they both are living the exact same life that the other one claims that they want to be living and are both feeling the exact same feeling. You know, it's that, <laughs> right. that old adage, you know, the grass is greener on the other sure, side. Sure, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, that's the that's the expression version of it. But I was just really struck by that because it's just, that's like a, a higher order thinking moment of the movie that had never dawned on me as a kid until I had a little bit more life experience where I was like, yeah, I mean, you idealize someone else's life to a point where they're a caricature or like it's like a such a loose structure and you kind of don't even understand what it would be like for them to do that well it's like going back to what you've said in the past jim carrey said i wish everyone could have all their dreams so they'd realize that it's not gonna be enough it's not gonna fulfill them mm-hmm. and i think about because both jasmine and aladdin are chasing something that the other has but they don't know the other has it just happens to be that each other has it, but they're both chasing something outside of their world that they think will make them more complete. And, you know, we see this even more with the social media generation where, where we're seeing people's highlight reels and you're seeing everyone having this awesome time with this great social circle. They're always taking the right pictures and they're always showing everyone how awesome their life is. And you look at these things and you're like, wow, like, I just lay on my couch and ate a burger and watched some TV before I went to bed or whatever it is you did, right? And they don't people don't show that shit. They're they're yeah. not but Jasmine when she's in the palace, the rest of the world doesn't know that she feels trapped and that she feels like she's never seen anything and she's just in this place of almost existential torment. She has to get out because she feel feels like all of this these riches and this comfort is there's no adventure in it. Yeah. Whereas Aladdin's got adventure every day. A plenty. Like he's <laughs> eating is an adventure for Aladdin. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> what a great observation. <laughs> and yet he just wants the feeling of significance and importance. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't even think he wants the wealth of being a prince. That's not the impression I get from this movie. The impression I get is he wants the respect. He yeah. wants people to I mean, and you even see when he enters the city in his great, you know, princely entrance when when the genie has made him a prince. It's a it's a spectacle. Yeah. He wants everyone to see. It's nothing like that other prince riding yeah. on a horse. It's yeah, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um when you brought up that social media highlight yeah that resonates so true where you just like you see people's vacations or you see them through filters that make them look better maybe than they did on that day and like you see all the pictures are in one place so you see like maybe three years worth of highlights in you know a five minute little scroll through their feed or their photos or something right and so i mean that's an extreme form but one of the ideas in philosophy that's really kind of helped me with dealing with some of the angst with that is this idea from William James called radical empiricism, which is the idea that if you're going to take seriously the idea that phenomenon, things that happen to you matter, you actually have to take every single thing as data. So just as relevant as the vacation filter pick is the maybe four days lost to diarrhea because of bad food. In, right in this country, in that this they country went to. that they yeah. went to, right, just as relevant or, or as I, that, yeah, as the wet, all the weddings and like all the fun and dancing they're having is just dark nights of the soul of loneliness, where they're actually celebrating other people's happiness, and even though they look happy in the picture, so it's like just as relevant to the human condition as the moments that seem highlight and highfalutin are the moments when you're you know, taking a dump or sweating <laughs> when you don't want to be sweating or like all of these more... Or your boss is like being really critical of you and saying you're not... Like that is a, a very relevant human experience totally. that yeah. you're not going to put up on your social... Or But here's something and, interesting. And then knowing that all of these other people also go through these things. That's just how I <laughs> deal with that social media highlight angst. But and you, I think that's a, a good thought, especially for teenagers who have a lot more of a fragile sense of self and it's like, yeah, no, these people that you're looking up to, your peers, they're actually hurting in a lot of the same ways you are. And here's the weird part about our culture. There are people who put up those struggles and like complain about stuff or will say, oh, I had a really bad day or whatever it might be. And those people are kind of mocked, right? Or or they're saying, I'm going through a really hard time. They'll put that up. And people are like, oh, you're just attention whoring or, or you, you just want people to like right, give yeah. you likes. And it's interesting, right? Because we're willing to, to be envious of people's good times. A lot of us are not willing to engage with people. When, sympathetic of the yeah, bad times. sympathetically in their bad times. Yeah. Unless it's like a really tragic thing, like someone in their life died or... Right. But like if it's like I'm having a bad day... Mm-hmm. Most of us, I know I sometimes would be like, oh, come on. Why do you have to post that on social media? What are you looking for? Attention? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, in a Disney movie, you're not going to get enough of a deep dive into you know, Aladdin and Jasmine having really a, a super deep conversation about the intricacies of their psychological realities <laughs> that no, are true. maybe... Maybe the they could glean out the handful of positive things that their life might give to the other, but then also give so much more context for all the negative things. It is interesting, this idea of, oh, you spend your whole life wanting someone else's life, and they spend their whole life wanting someone else's life, and at the same time, they both say, oh, essentially, they both say, if I could have had what you have, I'd be happy. It's like, oh, that, that's a fool's errand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't look for happiness in other people's lives. Yeah, it comes from within. 
But yes, back to that Prince Ali. So I thought, okay, he tries to impress Jasmine by literally being someone else. Yeah, which <laughs> and, I mean, and how makes common his present a spectacle. And Jasmine from the beginning just liked normal Aladdin, and I think, again, this is a perennial thing of like trying to trying to woo someone, trying to impress them. And I mean, it's not like you don't want to have some things about you that are impressive to someone you're trying to make like you. But I thought of this thought from a book by Steven Pinker where, or, or the song from the nineties where I, I can't remember the band, but they're like, she likes me for me <laughs> not because, and I, he sings like all these other things that someone could like, but it's actually just him. And then Steven Pinker in his book, how the mind works writes, how it's actually things like, a laugh, a glance, or a smile that steals the heart, uh, regardless of any grand <laughs> purpose we design. It's often in the moments where we're not trying to make someone fall for us that they do. And, yeah, I, and that's cool. Yeah, and it's like, like and, it's, and it's, you know, because it, it is the things that Aladdin does to help Jasmine and help what they do at the beginning that Jasmine seems to like him, right? Well, it's like when she kind of tricks him and asks him about a boo, and yeah. he's and then he just immediately talks about a boo, and she's like, "Ah, I knew oh, you yeah, were yeah, the yeah, guy." Yeah, right? yeah. She because she the things she likes about him have actually nothing to do with him being a prince. And, yeah, and I, I think it's it's, I, it's when he's not trying to intentionally impress her that she likes him. Yeah, and it's I just when he's outliving. That's actually a very good lesson in this movie. <laughs> yes. right? Is that. You don't want someone who likes you for who you pretend to be. Oh, of you... course. <laughs> <laughs> right, but he, he doesn't get that. And I, I think there is a, a wisdom there, right? Because there's a lot of guys, and I've been that guy, who have tried to be something else for someone. He just becomes such an ass. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, and also, you get all trapped up in a lie. Like, and, Well, yeah, well, like the lie that breeds the grandeur, or the, the self-delusional grandeur. It's like he's almost like a second away from being found out. And so he's always... And he's terrified of being found out because for some reason he's so deluded. Like he isn't picking up the signs and he thinks what she likes about him is this thing that she doesn't give a shit about. Yeah. So he's bragging to her and that's not what she's like. So uh, it's just, yeah, like, no. <laughs> and And it is, it is those moments like when he's on the balcony and he's all bravado and he's trying to brag and then she you know gives him the (laughs) pretends to like him but tells him basically says fuck off you're an asshole just like all the other uh, wannabe princes and then he kind of (laughs) he goes back into aladdin mode for half seconds he's like uh you're right you should be free to choose whoever you want i'm sorry and he walks off the ledge so when he's in aladdin mode she immediately is like picking up like that's a different person right like that is actually what i like he's admitting to (laughs) me also being a person who is deserving of my own thoughts and choices and that seemed to be kind of what she liked from the marketplace with him too or like that attitude that aladdin feels and so (laughs) and then you know he's like what 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 and and so that's why she even agrees to go on the magic carpet ride with him right so doesn't he say, do you trust me? And she immediately well, he, is like... Th- he does, but that's only when she's getting onto the carpet. That's her clue that it's the same person. But the reason she thinks she wants to go hang out with this Prince Ali is when he goes into what I'm calling Aladdin mode versus right. Prince Ali mode, where right. Prince Ali mode is the ass, the jerk, the bombastic self-aggrandizer. 
Aladdin being the fun-loving, mischievous, but ultimately kind and humble street rat (laughs) right who's actually the one worth loving and so she's falling she's like oh that's that's a little different i like that and then he says do you trust me and that's her clue but it takes the whole movie for aladdin to learn that that's actually what jasmine likes about him not and and not the tradition that's a lesson right for for people and a good lesson and you see these in disney films all the time that they actually do try to teach i think any great children's story or novel or movie that tries to do this. It tries to teach at least one important lesson to people throughout it. And as cliche as be yourself is, and it is really cliche, I think be yourself is not the lesson here. It's if you pretend to be something you're not, then you're just going to get caught up in a whole bunch of trouble and you're never going to attract the kind of person you want to be with anyway. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's that's Aladdin's struggle, right? And it's interesting that he, like, when they go at the end of that magic carpet ride, when they're sitting on in in China, I believe it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we we did comment on this when we were watching. <laughs> yeah. Like, they really get some good travel miles. Yeah, they like... go in one song. <laughs> they go from Arabia to Egypt because they see the Sphinx to Greece, we see the Parthenon, and from Greece all the way to China, which looks like Beijing even that they're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they're they're, so they're going fast. That's that is a heck of a magic carpet. It might be like a, a bubble travel. like a, some kind of like time bubble around the carpet or something too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's even she finds him out. She says, "Oh, and what does Abu think?" and he makes a comment. She's like, "I knew you were the boy from the market. I knew it was you." And he's like, "Oh, well." And so but he he keeps the lie going. Like even though he could have by this point realized, oh, she like the parts where she's acted kindly to me are actually the times when I haven't been Prince Ali. It's when I've been Aladdin. But he's not secure enough yet to tell the truth, to not continue the lie. It struck me as like, oh my gosh, yeah, like how hard it is to like learn that from the outside, such an easy lesson. But it's like that insecurity of feeling like you're going to lose something if you can't trick it. And like this seems to be Aladdin's struggle. If he's really who he actually is, no one will want to be with him. He'll never achieve his dreams. And so he hides, like literally the genie creates this perfect mask for him. And he loves that mask. You see him on top of that elephant when they're yeah. when they're coming down. He is happy as he could be. And he struts into that palace. Like he's like... My mask is working. And actually, this reminds me of one of our first episodes, which was I Heart Huckabee, right? What is the mask? And more importantly, when you utilize deception in order to convey um, meaning to the rest of the world, when you're, when you're projecting an image, and, and we all project images. Like, let's not pretend. We're always going to be projecting images. But when you project an image that is so totally not who you are, that eats you up inside. And we see this in Aladdin. It eats him up because he knows he's not that thing and he's so worried he's going to be found out. I mean, how many people live that way all their lives, worried they're going to be found out? Uh, I don't know. We'll <laughs> yeah. have to take a poll. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that'll be the first if, RTF poll. There we go. If any Are of you... you living a life where you don't want to be found out? <laughs> yes, no, maybe. I'd prefer not to answer. (laughs) All of these are fine answers. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, you're right. It's hard for him. It does it does eat him up. It's kind of like a weird arms race between his conscience and his ambition. His ambition is to be this prince, but like to to marry Jasmine to be because only a prince can marry Jasmine, which is another thing with this movie that they actually do really well in the end. But it's an arms race again between the ambition and his conscience, and it feels like his conscience finally catches up to him when he finds out that as Prince Ali, who she loves now, he's going to be the sultan. And he's like, I can't do this. And he he's can't like, do that. And he fe- like it's like the first time where he's coming face to face with the fact like, oh, I'm a fraud. And it very sincerely seems like he's going to go tell Jasmine that he's not a prince, that he is a fraud. So he does seem to have, again, conscience wins in the end after, like, as Winston Churchill will say, Aladdin does the right thing after he does everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got to the right? end of his rope. He's like, yeah. I can't be a sultan. But when he doesn't tell the truth, once Jafar's gained the lamp and has become a sultan and then a sorcerer, when Jasmine actually learns the truth that he's not, it's not Prince Ali pretending to be a street rat, it's actually Aladdin the street rat pretending to be Ali. Like the real person is Aladdin and it doesn't come out from Aladdin telling her, it comes out from Jafar telling her in the most humiliating way possible for Aladdin, right? And this made me think too, like, man, when we get caught in our lies, if we don't get out in front of our lies or like forego them even from the start, they come out in a way that is so much more painful than they would have been if we had got to be the ones to inform whoever we needed to inform about our deception, right? And this is why it's really interesting because people lie to protect people. People lie to protect themselves. But then I find one of the most common forms of lying is to protect your lie, right? And eventually it gets to the point where you can't cover it up anymore. And when you do that, I mean, it's one of those things about projecting to the future, because a lot of people just live in the moment. They're like, well, if I lie now, it's not going to feel bad. But if you can actually get yourself into a perspective where you'll be in the future, if you get exposed after all these lies, I mean, it is more humiliating. It is better just, it is better to tell the painful truth in the moment because maybe you end up on some pinnacle. Maybe you achieve your dream and then you're exposed. And that's the really painful moment. It's a lot more painful than just being honest from the beginning. And so, like, all of Aladdin's version of Ali and both the genie, and it seems like Abu, too, although Abu can't talk in Magic Carpet, like, they're really um, remonstrating Aladdin to, like, tell her the truth, right? Like, that's actually the Jack Nicholson part of the genie, where the genie's like, you gotta be a straight shooter, man. Tell her the truth. (laughs) Like, this is the genie, and I looked this up. On Wikipedia, so I'm pretty confident that it's the same root word as genius. And so, what does the genius of this movie insist on? Honesty, right? And, like, that's not an accident. At the level of very deep representation, to have the character who is associated with genius be the one most forthrightly imploring honesty and truth-telling. Like, there's a deep connection there between those two ideas. And it brings out um, the great line from Sam Harris in his book, Lying, where it's like, lying is the royal road to chaos. And I was thinking about this a little bit. Lying seems like, like it's so easy to do. 
it like there isn't a lot of overhead to telling a lie. You just talk and just say something untruthful, right? So it's something that can be so simple to do. It's a live option for basically everyone all the time. And yet the consequences of lying are so predictably catastrophic for almost every context. And it's like, man, there's something so, so like lying is so doubly bad because of how kind of normal it seems to do. It's the tragedy of Othello. Lying is essentially the tragedy of Othello, which again, there's a great connection here because Iago, Jafar's parrot, is the same name as the main villain Iago from Othello. <laughs> yeah, that right. And, uh, and I'm and sure that's by accident. <laughs> what what does Iago do in Othello? He just lies. He lies and he lies and he lies. He tells Othello that his wife has been talking to this other man. He tells his wife something else. Or he tells the other like he just every time Iago is talking in Othello, he's calculating deception to shoulder his way in right and the thing that is so i guess horrifying is that these deceptions work (laughs) they work for a time until things crumble and i don't know i just was wanting to i guess express my kind of i think lying is worse than it seems because it's so easy to do you said it's it's so easy to lie i mean there's that great, uh, have you ever heard of imposter syndrome that a lot of people have where they're, they'll be in some position, they're like, I don't deserve to be here, this is too big for me. And that can also cause lying, right? Because instead of being honest with the people who put you there and saying, well, I don't know how to do this, you're like, well, I'm not supposed to be here. I feel like I'm pretending. Like in a job? Yeah, in a job. So if I'm, I'm not supposed to be here, I feel like I'm pretending, so I have to lie, right? And it become can become a very big problem. But like you said, it's the hedonism of instant gratification that makes lying so appealing because if you actually play out in any systematic way where this lie can, is going to take you what does it immediately do it immediately makes you being afraid of fi- being found out mm-hmm. and then like, your focus goes from whatever your task or goal is to well it shifts the goal to self-preservation yeah right and and, it, and who's that good for <laughs> you and that's <laughs> and it barely you and barely you because now you're in this constant state of paranoia and fear i mean you look at uh, a lot of the shows and movies or whatever it is people have secrets right and these secrets are what other people use against them to gather leverage because people don't want those secrets exposed and honestly you become very powerful in life wherever you are or whatever you're doing if people can't leverage things like that against you, because uh, going back to one of the things you've said in the past, there's those hard-minded, hard-hearted people who will calculate that you don't want people to know this thing about you, and therefore they will utilize that thing against you in order to make you do something. They'll blackmail you, essentially. And if you don't have things like that in your life, if you're genuinely honest about who you are, what you believe, what you've done... You take a lot of power away from other people, too. Mm-hmm. It's not just that the lie can negatively affect you. It's that the lie can be used against you if anyone finds out that it's a lie. Yeah. And that you're still trying to protect it. Yeah. And lying is just kind of emotional blackmail to a person that you are supposed to care about. I mean, I think everyone just kind of, well, it seems like people live under this basic life assumption that the people they're closest with are being honest with them 
you know? And uh, I think that is a better ideal to live to than the kind of fantasies that Jasmine and Aladdin have at the beginning given themselves about somebody else's life. An ideal is more to just be as honest in your own as you can and continue on, right? And towards the end of the movie where Aladdin defeats Jafar by using his wits again, right? Like it's totally him being back to Aladdin. It's like him being really agile (laughs) and fighting the snake. And then once Jafar the snake actually has him trapped and he's, you know, (laughs) of course, you're out of time, princess. Like she's in an hourglass, literally (laughs) getting out of time. She's going to suffocate in the sand. This is so great. I love this. Aladdin uses Jafar's ambition against him as his weakness, right? He says, oh, well, you're only the second most powerful being because this whole movie, and we'll talk about this in a bit, this whole movie, Jafar has been just a glutton for power. Like he's just, he's just like unashamedly lusting to be in control of things. And Aladdin knows, oh, this, you get your opponent in his weak spot and his weak spot is his ambition and so he says oh until you're a genie you won't be as powerful you won't be as powerful as a genie if you're just a sorcerer and so when he jafar becomes a genie it's aladdin knows he's a trap to the lamp which again because the genie the genius is often stuck (laughs) in the world um, because the world is the world that they're confined to and unfree in is so much smaller than their capacities, which is the price of, of being genius. a genie, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, uh, but I mean, for the workings of the movie, Aladdin's like phenomenal cosmic powers <laughs> in the middle of space, <laughs> which you know, there's profundity to that too. Yeah. And so, I thought it was cool to see Aladdin use uh, Jafar's uh, weakness against him, and in the end, wishes the genie free, right? Yeah. Still shows the same character as the guy who gives the kid food. Yeah. Gives his friend and someone he cares about the thing that they want. Yeah, that's a great connection. I didn't even, I've never even thought about that before, but essentially he gains something that he wants only to give it away to someone who sincerely has more need than him with the kids. Then he does that with the genie. He has another wish he could take from the genie, but he sees all of the good in the world that the genie has been and the sincerity that the genie has been doing. He says, okay, no, I can actually give you this thing. And actually is sacrificing the very thing that he wants because he has no idea he's going to be made a prince. Like, yeah. And the genie could make him a legitimate prince with his last wish, but then the genie doesn't get what he wants. Yeah. Well, that's a good transition moment to j- talking a little bit about Jasmine. One of her first lines in the movie is, uh, I want it to be for love talking about her marriage right like the prince who whipped aladdin and then called him a street rat is leaving with torn up underwear that raja the tiger has removed from his butt (laughs) which as a kid is just the funniest thing like oh the tiger ate the guy's underwear (laughs) and the guy has uh, underwear with hearts on it (laughs) yeah and i mean jasmine i was like oh okay she has a soft heart and she knows what she wants but she's caught up in a tradition right and like it's like oh my gosh so much of jasmine and her father's back and forth is like "Ooh, you're just caught in this old tradition and it's so retrograde for jasmine and the sultan himself doesn't even seem like he wants it exactly but what oh man what can i do you this know is just the way things are yeah, yeah. well 
but interesting. It, it is a tyranny of tradition kind of feel to it, isn't it? Yeah, except like I also think that the the Disney answer, and here's where I'd be really critical, yeah. is I want to marry for love. And I just think this idea of marrying for love is so ridiculous. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you should marry someone you love, but marriage is hard and relationships are really hard. And something I don't think Disney gets right, and in some of the later movies, maybe they do, but certainly not in, in the early movies is like the happily ever after and the, you know, things are going to go well. You're going to, because you feel these things for someone. Like, people have a lot of things about ourselves that just piss other people off. And if you get really deep and know each other really well, you really have one of two options. You can not like the other person at all, or you can decide despite these things. And it's like you were saying about friendship. It's There's a balance. But it's hard when you're like grinding through life and they know all that, you know, how stinky your farts are, how, you know, how you snore maybe, or whatever it is, right? Like getting through that stuff is the reality of love. Whereas I think this idea of I want to marry for love, cool, right? Awesome. But does it work very well? I mean, we live in the the age of marrying for love and we see divorce everywhere. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it could be a quibble about semantics, but I guess I don't totally see what the incompatibility is between... I guess what Disney's calling love and working at it other than in the movies, Disney has to show a happily ever after because again, that's kind of how our brains work in stories and they're telling a story and they got to make money, you know, et cetera. And, and they should because Disney is our Lord and savior and shall be worshiped forevermore. <laughs> However, please go um, up Disney stocks. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing my question is, well, what is the incompatibility you see between the love that Disney portrays and that extra hard work that comes with living with someone that they start to see. Okay, so here's the, what I would say. The I ugly think, stuff. Yeah, I think that the, the Disney version of love is largely infatuation. And I'll give you an example from Aladdin. Okay. So she's hung out with this guy for one night. Right. And she can't stop thinking about him. Uh, you know, she's sitting by the pool. She's sighing, and and not only that, but after the the carpet ride, which is really their second hangout, she is like sighing. And is like, oh, I think I love this guy. He's so awesome. I I have, had a good date. Yeah, have a really good date. Maybe a second date. And you're like, <laughs> wow, what's that like? <laughs> I've heard of such a thing, but it's a rare, it's, it's a, a rare, rare specimen. Rare, I've rare, only rare occurrence. Yeah, I've only I've only seen it in the zoo. I've never seen it in the wild. A second date. <laughs> My God. <laughs> anyway, infatuation, that kind of obsessiveness, the uh, the moment where thinking on that person fills you with a sense of pleasure, that's not love, in my mind. I, I would argue love is what you were talking about in friendship earlier. It's the scale, but it's like when you see someone do bad, you don't immediately assume they're shitty and hold on to that bad thing. You're like, actually, I know the good in them. And they're a bit of a rascal sometimes. Right. Or they're a bit of a... They're a bit neurotic, maybe. Or whatever it <laughs> is, right? Yeah. But I love them despite those things. So maybe at the end of the movie, instead of getting married, Aladdin and Jasmine should be really excited to go on a third date? <laughs> <laughs> My point is, 
I think it's an important distinction that is not made to level it should be, which sure. is that infatuation is not love. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's totally true. Just as a very quick point, I don't think Disney has the capacity to be more complicated than it is for Fair. movies that are ostensibly for children. But we do. Sure, <laughs> yes, we do. I think that, I guess, in a scenario where children are growing up with, let's say, Disneyfied versions of love, that is parents slash guardians slash adults responsibility to build that context and nuance with them in a way that movies just never will. Yeah, right. No, on hundred percent. It's, but I think I probably I would say had a false idea of what love was. Right. Based on stories that I'd read, movies that I'd watched, feelings that I had, and realizing that love is hard has been, I would argue, a very freeing thing for me because it has allowed me not to be consumed necessarily by my emotions and and more critical of myself. Yeah. And it's a longer term commitment. Yeah, exactly. As opposed Which to... I think is actually in the long run a more fulfilling and meaningful emotion than infatuation. Sure. Yes. Well, okay. There's a few things here. I think that Jasmine is caught up in a tradition that insists on marriage as the beginning of a relationship. Right. Yes. Right? As opposed to the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. No, no. So, I, so her I society mean, doesn't even allow, like the very laws of her country don't allow for that kind of relationship between a man and a woman until, unless it's marriage. So I guess from her perspective, given her context, you could be like, well, yeah, I mean, if it's got to happen anyway by law, hopefully it's someone she gets along with <laughs> and loves, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, I don't, I'm not saying that the context that Jasmine found herself in was appropriate, but I feel like the pendulum swings too far the other way. Right. Now, I'm very happy for Jasmine and Aladdin that they found each other and they fell in love, but it's interesting that that's her desire, but the reflection of what love is to her, in my mind... Yeah, it's portrayed just like any other Disney movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. No, and that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I get that. I think I'm just trying to <laughs> bail Jasmine out, I guess, because <laughs> she was one of my first, first crushes. I know yes. you mentioned that. She was yes. one of my first loves, David. <laughs> Don't you understand what real love's like? Oh, God. Don't you know what crushes? No, she was. So, no, I, I think probably one of the reasons I watched Aladdin so much as a kid <laughs> is to see Jasmine. And I was like, oh, I'm going to marry her one day. <laughs> Uh, I actually also had that feeling. Did you ever have like animated crushes when you were a kid? So another one I had was um, Dorothy Ann from the Magic School Bus. From the Magic School Bus. So every time, very interesting. Yeah. So every time, because in the Magic School Bus, every episode they'd kind of have like a lead kid, a boy and a girl, and every episode where Dorothy Ann was the lead girl, I was like right there watching the whole time. <laughs> it's like, oh, I love Dorothy Ann. <laughs> I so. think my first movie crush was. Uh, did you ever watch that Drew Barrymore uh, Cinderella? Uh, Ever after. Ever after. Yes. Oh, okay. That was my first major. Uh, you weirdo! You liked uh, real life women <laughs> <laughs> who were in live action yeah. movies. Yeah. Weirdly, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. So yes, I agree with you on the level that Disney doesn't portray the complexities of a relationship it just kind of focuses on the the gooey mushy parts yes and and, and i i think that's a restriction of the medium 
a little I, bit. Okay, so I agree with you that it, I totally agree with you that it's a restriction of the medium, but I think there's a danger because there's a lot of people that that's the idea of love that they have is it is that gushy feeling. Uh, yeah, okay. Maybe this is the more um, hard-nosed side of my personality coming out, but I'm just like, well, we're the goddamn parents then. Like, right. that's their job. Part yeah. of the job of the parents is to educate children on things like love. And so that's how I would leave it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, no, and, and, and I, I and think the, that can be the, left there. The, yeah. the tragedy is, obviously, for all of the people who don't have parents or have abusive parents or grew up in really terrible situations. Like, I have infinite sympathy for those kind of people who don't get education from a caring guardian or adult in their life. The vast majority of the people who seem to have been hoodwinked by Disney come from upper middle class families who <laughs> both parents worked and they had nice houses and they had the uh, affluence to afford tons of Disney movies to watch them and then wonder why their lives didn't turn out like Disney. And again, this is maybe <laughs> a bit too judgy, but <laughs> I just think I'm not blaming Disney for that. I'm saying that I think in the scope of life, it does fall onto role models slash parents to help their kids. And if kids, if, if people become 25 and still think like Disney movies, like, they're just not, they haven't been set up well yet. You know? True. Yeah. I just want to say, like, I agree with you. Yeah. That is true. But I think that is such a, that's a truth that is so available now especially with the internet because you got to remember like a lot of even even when aladdin came out there weren't a lot of other mediums to talk about things like aladdin or talk about disney or like have a have way more people giving you perspective like there was like you got basically information from the world from movies the news on tv because aladdin is even before the internet you get it from newspapers like there's just a very small amount of sources to help you think more about things right and you could subscribe to a magazine kind of thing whereas now if you have a question about anything even like that donnie darko episode we did i didn't know what happened so i immediately went to youtube to see someone who spent way more time on this who figured it out to help me so i think i think you are another well and good representative of this broader context of reminding people, oh yes, Disney is a one-dimensional <laughs> view on love and just the mushy stuff, and it's harder than that. Yeah, yeah. So, but I don't blame you for that, Disney, because you are our Lord and Savior. <laughs> the next thing that struck me though is based on her, the way she was raised, she was just left totally ill-equipped to deal with the world. That first scene where she's out in the marketplace. She's so naive and innocent of the real world. So when she gives that little kid an apple and the merchant says, how are you going to pay for that? And she says, like, totally confused, pay? <laughs> like, yeah, she's, just, yeah. she's unfamiliar with the concept, right? It's reminded me of the danger of being too far removed from reality so that if you ever go into it, it's just going to eat you alive. And she would have lost her hand if Aladdin wasn't there, right? Like, that guy was ready to cut her I mean, he obviously would have been killed once he found out that <laughs> yeah, he yeah. cut the arm off the princess. But, you know, it's just jungle rules out there kind of thing, right? And so she would have lost her hand. And so it's like, 
Aladdin able to protect her given his wiles of the real world, which is the gold that Aladdin shows is his ability to understand these, the underbelly of Agrabah kind of thing and how to navigate it. And I was like, oh man, yeah, that's what happens. This is why I think it's really crucial, especially with young people, but anyone like help remind them about the seedier sides of existence so they're not just totally raked over the coals if they ever go out into the world or you know what i mean yeah oh and i think it's actually interesting with jasmine because despite having this obviously utterly pampered and spoiled life we see a character in her as well like you look at the character in aladdin and you see giving to the poor well we actually see that in jasmine too she doesn't just think the poor are disgusting and shouldn't she's like yeah, she's, oh she's a human she yeah. has humanistic impulses yeah. as well that's an interesting insight right is that she despite being pampered and spoiled and all these things doesn't think she's better than other people it seems is in fact interested more in in people who are not of her same social strata and and that might have to do with the desires of her heart but she acts in this way consistently even when she thinks that Aladdin has been unsummariously executed, she's appalled by this, not just because she loves him, I think, because she has a sense of injustice. Like, why is he being killed? He didn't kidnap me. That, And she's feeling guilt on this as well. So we see character qualities in Jasmine that are very positive, uh, despite this naivety that she has that you just expressed. Yeah. You can see what Aladdin sees in her, other than just her beauty, right? Like, she's definitely got... She's, you know who she kind of, in a weird way, she kind of reminds me of Wonder Woman from, you know, the DC universe slash the new movie, where these are things I feel, I guess, about both these characters, that Wonder Woman is very strong and forthright, and obviously she's a superhero, so she's physically intimidating in a way that Jasmine isn't, but like character, all Jasmine kind of wants, and similarly, uh, Diana, Wonder Woman, is that they just want to like find someone who treats them as an equal, who will tell them the truth, who they can tell the truth to, who they can kind of banter with a bit, have some fun. They're both really sweet and really kind. Like they, I really like both Jasmine and Wonder Woman, I guess, because they, they don't mind showing their feminine sides, but don't take shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're kind, they're sweet. They are nurturing, both of them, but you try to pull one thing on them and you are getting wrath and, yeah, and yeah. justified wrath behind that, you well, know? And it's like, that's, it's, that was such a strength. That seems like such a strength to me to be able to show a more vulnerable side of sweetness and kindness. And yet the moment you do even one thing that's like under the table, yeah, you're, be, she'll you're being get, called on she'll it. She'll get you, right? And I like there's also that cheeky moment where he jumps over the buildings and then he puts the plank over for her to <laughs> yeah. walk across. And then she jumps it's herself. like a pole vaulter. Yeah, she pole vaults herself. And there's that great line where she's like, I learn quickly. And it's a, that spirited sense of independence that she still has yeah. despite where she comes from and her naivety, as you pointed out. And, and you know what? She picks things up. She does pick up things quick. As soon as she's like, oh, she's my sister and she needs to go see the doctor and she says hi to the camel. Like, she plays right along. This this is yeah. a bright girl, right? Like, yeah, she's, woman. she's quick to clue in to Aladdin's game that he's using to get her out. And it is. It's totally a a really healthy and vibrant independence 
but still so desiring of loving relationships and a loving relationship. And then, I mean, we don't, she even says she doesn't really have any friends. We don't yeah. really see her have any friends other than Raja. Yeah. And Raja was quite pretty upset about not being her friend. Yeah. We. <laughs> so I don't know. I just really liked that about her. Yeah. And yeah. the last little thing about Jasmine that I have is that her her quote, that's stupid law. It isn't fair. I love you. Again, getting over the hurdles of her own society, right? And I mean, uh, that's just kind of like for all of the <laughs> shit we give <laughs> saying i want it to be for love i can't really see it being justified in any other way than like two people being free to choose that for themselves even if it's a bad choice or a wrong choice it's still more ethical than forcing like arranged marriages or pressure or like especially when it was things like dowries or whatever right or that this law of her society where she has to marry a prince. It's the law. Well, what if all the princes are like Ali Ababa? <laughs> right. And, right. And the chances are that princes, you know, people who get their butts licked all the time by everyone around them are going to have an inflated sense of self seems pretty high. Yeah. And this is exactly the kind of man that will make Jasmine miserable. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So I, I liked the idea of Jasmine is totally right. She should pick. Like, yes, like, yes. like all the all the humming and hawing of her dad aside, it's a bad law. Get rid of it, right? <laughs> if 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 a law if the laws of your land aren't philosophically and ethically underpinned to continually work at expanding human psychological freedom and well being, whatever that might be, then get rid of those goddamn laws. Like, go write to someone to get rid of... I mean, I, I, obviously... It's a little um, harder than uh, that. Agrabah is not a democracy. <laughs> but again, this is why you need democracies. Yeah. So yep. you can actually... If the laws aren't... And again, I, I, I totally understand people disagreeing over the nature of human well-being. People saying, well, the social order maintained by having princes and married princesses is more important that actually causes more well-being than this one princess and i guess i just would put my flag in the ground and say no unless it's at the level of the individual that doesn't count it has to be totally bottom up psychological well-being and you need to always be working to remove the intolerabilities of existence from people through your laws for sure and let jasmine and aladdin figure out figure out their own problems as opposed to a top-down paternalistic, oh, okay, well, your marriage is ordained, so um, you don't even have to work. See, you don't even have to find a suitor, Jasmine. You don't have to put the effort into wooing someone yourself. We'll just bring them to your door. See, isn't that just so easy? It's like, no. Respecting her autonomy is more important. So that was my little rant on that. (laughs) Sultan. You must be married to the Sultan, her dad. You must be married to a prince. So I wrote, he's kind of easily flattered and much too trusting, which makes him extremely manipulatable. Uh, Why it's important to listen to people who are not just kissing your ass. (laughs) Yeah, like, I really hate this character just as a human type. Like, (laughs) yeah. And I think that's kind. I don't think people are meant to hate him, but like, I hate people. Well, he's so goofy and pathetic and kind of childish. He's yes. childishly lovable, but 
interestingly, there is something really, really off-putting about childishness in a grown adult. Yeah, and it's not the good kind of childishness, like, you know, having a childlike heart. Yes. It's literally a an idiocy. Like yeah, he, he doesn't know what's going on ever, and he's the ruler of the whole kingdom. <laughs> and, and, well, I mean, I mean, obviously Jafar is the real ruler of the kingdom in a lot of ways, but what I just hate about the portrayal of someone like this, it's actually my least favorite part of the whole movie, is the man doesn't seem to deserve where he is at all. Doesn't he, seem to he care. He probably got it through birth. One of the scenes that really bothered me was when he's dealing with the fact that Aladdin has supposedly been executed. Yeah. And he makes uh, Jafar and Jasmine make up or whatever. And then he's like, well, that's settled now. Yeah. We, fi- we fixed that problem. <laughs> like, there's no conscience in this guy. There's And he doesn't... Maybe he loves his daughter in some really messed up sort of way. But he doesn't seem to care about her or anything besides his own... Playing with toys, like I think, I think, yeah, yeah. There's that scene where he's playing with the toys, where he's like, when he should be, I guess, ruling an empire. You're totally right. Like I, I was thinking, like he's just so oblivious, right? Like it's he's the danger of oblivion to yeah. uh, literally the serpents that will come and get. Yeah, you. like this is the soft-headed, soft-hearted individual <laughs> just being degree. ruled, ruled yeah. by the hard-headed, hard-hearted person, like and. There's some good in him, and that's maybe the soft-hearted side where he, you know, he cares about people, sort of. But also, he just seems incredibly self-interested. Yeah, and when that happens, your inattention allows bad company to come into your life. It's that famous quote, you know, all it takes for evil to prosper is good men to do nothing. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't even think he's a good man. He's he's kind well, of a useless man. Well, he's he's like a pitiable child man yeah. i would yeah. say like yeah. i i did like i don't know i don't dislike him but i do feel like you well okay again disney movie aside like this if this was the leader of the country this country would have gone to shit a long time yeah. ago yeah. and like jafar would have hosed this guy long ago <laughs> yeah. and, he wouldn't have been waiting like how do you not see uh, again it's this is literally cartoon characters of these things, right? Where, <laughs> yeah. like, Jafar is just evil manifest. You look at him for half a second, you're like, you're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, right? There's not a question like, here of how, who the bad how guy How has is. this guy been the Sultan's <laughs> Grand Vizier for how many years he's been? And the guy has even once thought, like, you're kind of bad, hey? <laughs> like, you've got some real darkness my in most, your soul, right? Yeah, my most trusted Well, advisor. I guess that's why it makes sense that they paint the Sultan this way, is that he would be so oblivious yeah. to He would never know. Jafar, yeah. right? And it pays to be vigilant into the type of people that are spending you're spending your time around, and you can't be vigilant with that kind of, of your company, who the, the company you keep, if you are oblivious to the world, right? And the Sultan is oblivious to the world. He totally is, which, again, is probably another meditation on <laughs> aristocracy slash monarchy. Yep. Yep. But he changes at the end. The, his last line of the movie is, am I sultan or am I sultan? From this day forward, the princess shall marry whoever she chooses, right? And so his re- his redemptive moment is when he actually becomes forthright. And and utilizes his actual power to do good. Yeah, as a leader, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that arc of... His, <laughs> if he even has a character arc <laughs> where he just goes from being pathetic to not. But... It it is it was cool that it that he does have that moment at the end where he decides to make to say to, well basically to hell with that law right yeah. if it's not promoting the well being of my citizens and my daughter 
then what the hell is having the power of the Sultan ship for if it's not to make life better for other people yeah, here, right? true, true. So he he is. He, he becomes forthright in the end, which is, you know, I liked that. I like that it's a good character study of, again, the danger of oblivion and ignorance and just how you can invite things passively into your life that will just that will manipulate you and you won't even notice it because you'll be so bleary eyed from the snake eyed staff that they're feeding you the flattery and the psychophancy you name it right yeah i mean it's it's kind of a very watered down uh, meditation on theoden in lord of the rings right where he's also corrupted and and convinced and made pathetic by an advisor that he trusts and you know the outcomes are fairly similar, I guess. Except I never think I don't never think of Theoden as pathetic. Yeah, by and large, yeah. No, Jafar he apparently only seems to be motivated by power, and I might have mentioned this before, but I don't understand that impulse. Like I understand the impulse when Nietzsche talks about it in the will to power, as in like there are so many people out there who just that's what they want they want power but because i just don't have that impulse in myself it's so hard for me to understand and yet i need to because i don't want people like jafar ruling things right so i'm like okay well he's so manipulative and he's lying i mean it's obviously like iago is his pet he so he's the iago of this movie with well Prince Ali tells a lot of lies too, but Jafar tells a lot of lies as well, right? Basically to everyone. I mean, he insinuates to the his little henchman at the start of the movie, he's going to kill him. It's like, you'll get what's coming to you, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, and then he, he basically kills Aladdin if it wasn't for the genie and Aladdin would be dead when he when he pushes him back in and then realizes that he doesn't have the, uh, the lamp. And it's his... like his first option is, well, just kill him. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, that's not even a last resort. No, he doesn't even really need to <laughs> kill Aladdin. It's, it's a first resort. La- Aladdin's already given him the lamp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, but then, so then there's that. But then also, when he finds out that Prince Ali is Aladdin with the lamp, he just, okay, kill him. <laughs> yeah. Right? Jafar is very one dimensional. He's probably probably the least interesting character in this movie. Yeah, he's just the personification of evil. Yeah. And he's um, used as a foil for the other characters. I but I say. wondered if you had like any thoughts about just the pursuit of power for its own sake <laughs> without getting yourself in any trouble. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have lots of thoughts about it, but uh, I think the most interesting thought I've had recently about that particular thing is power is so fleeting. And the worst thing about the pursuit of power for power's sake is once you get it, then what are you most worried about? All the people that are like you that are also trying to get it. And so you're paranoid at the top trying to fight off, you know, the goblins as they try, as they come up the mountain trying to get where you are. And it becomes this, it part of the great corrupting force of power, in my mind, at least power for the sake of power, is that what are you most terrified of once you have it? Not even just pursuing it and the damage that that may do to your psyche and your soul or whatever we want to call it, but the more damaging part is if you get it because then it really corrupts you. And it doesn't corrupt you because you want to do things for yourself or whatever it is because that's been your pursuit. That's what you want. And now you have it. And you're just worried about losing it. And actually, we see this a little bit in the movie itself because what is the greatest fear of Jafar at the very end when he's the most powerful sorcerer in the world? 
It's not being the most powerful. It's not having... Yeah, he's still number two. To be unassailable. He wants to be unassailable, untouchable. It's interesting that he wants Jasmine to love him because that says a lot about people who have power. They 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 can't get certain things. I believe it would, Satra hells other people. The thing about having power is other people may not respect you, even if you have it. And then you have to cause f- them to fear you, not love you. It's that great Mike, Michael Squat or Michael Scott quote, you know, <laughs> I want them to fear how much they love me. I mean, that'd be the ideal. But reality is when you have power, I think if the only reason you got power was because you desired it, you're going to be really terrified of losing it. Yeah. And that, and that's just a, its own kind of hell. Yeah. And Jafar's definitely like that too. I just, I don't, um, I, I still, maybe I never will. And that's fine. But just, I can't, understand why a person would want to be in dominion over another i just have never gotten that impulse you know i like earning respect um, earning respect like or in sports i like earning a win but i don't want to just like i don't want to just knock someone down while i'm playing soccer and stand on their chest and be like i beat you right like i've never that has never crossed my mind and I've never had that impulse. So I just, I guess I have to be purely cognitively vigilant against it because I have no intu- intuition into what that would be like, because I am much more interested in just pursuing interesting things in the world, as opposed to being someone who, if they wanted, could with raw power, make other people's lives miserable. Right. Yeah. That's never been an ambition of mine. It's so probably, I'm uh, probably the wrong person to talk to about it. Probably a uh, testament to elements of your character, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is why politics is not for me, perhaps. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> and then the last great, great, great character in this movie is obviously the genie. Just because I wanted to double check this, and genie and genius being the same root word. And it comes also partly comes from the word jinn. D-J-I-N-N, which is the spirits who live out in the, the sand dunes in Saudi Arabia. And so, like, they're in a lot of the, I believe, it, it like, the stories of... Of the Quran. Of the Quran, and, yeah, yeah. but also in probably, like, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Arabian Nights. Arabian, Arabian Nights, Nights, yeah, yes. which is the song at the beginning. Well, right? and I think yeah. Aladdin is actually a tale from the Arabian Nights. Yes, so, yes. yes. And yeah. So then the jinn becomes the genie. yeah of course right uh and that line phenomenal cosmic powers itty bitty living space it reminded me of the starving artist perhaps someone who has so much to (laughs) give give and so much to give to the world but you know but he just wants freedom and i think again i don't want to belabor this point but this idea that the price of genius is so often to be so constricted in your scenario because of having to fulfill so many other tasks of just and, and expectations other people have on you and just getting along in life. And when left to your own devices, you just don't have anyone there who understands or is with you. Like the, the genie is so lonely because he's either like he's either a servant to a inferior being to him, right? Like the genie is the most powerful being in the universe. However, he has to listen to if he's lucky it's the aladdins of the world probably more commonly it's people like jafar's who just want to or or just selfish want the wishes right so like imagine being the most powerful being in the universe and you're at the whim of uh, just a 
shitty person, right? Like the, and I think that there is something there to how greatness can be alienating and and, and lonelifying <laughs> <laughs> and and separating for the genie to the rest of the world, right? Who's the genie gonna hang out with? Yeah, right. Who's the genie yeah. gonna be friends with? Who's who's on the genie's level? I actually think about this a lot. Like you're right, geniuses. It, it, there can be a very lonely place, and you you see this. It's it's hard to make friends for these people. And and actually, I was recently reading an article that I should be able to tell you who the author was, but I can't. That talked about even just really young people who are genius level IQs and how hard life is for them because they are interested in doing math problems or solving yeah. uh, or solving physics or or maybe it's something to do with science. And and you kind of see this I think it's actually something that pop culture does well is they they point out that these people are significant and meaningful despite being different. Yeah. And the genie is also different but very powerful. And yet you're right, he does seem lonely, but he's also very happy. Well, he's, he's happy like that this, he's out. Uh, yeah, well, he's happy that he's out. But <laughs> like the he's, drink he, in his neck, right? Yeah, he, well, he's got a good working attitude, for yeah. sure. But yeah, he's yeah. just like, thank you for letting me out of there. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he's not he's not a miserable, lonely person. But, I mean, weirdly, very much Robin Williams himself yeah. struggled with a lot of this loneliness and obviously whatever was going on in his life that we'll never know. Life imitates art. Yeah, really troubled him. And yet he brought so much joy and happiness to to millions, arguably. Yeah. So that's an interesting little yeah, well, life I mean, imitating art, like you said. I'm sure there are a lot of other counterexamples, but I'm thinking of like someone, apparently Isaac Newton was just not a very pleasant person. Like he was hard to be around. I've read somewhere that he was very likely a virgin when he died. He just was, I don't know, what would be the term, like farouche a little bit, hard to be around. Well, look, look at someone like Dostoevsky who gambled away his wife's wedding ring yeah. at one point and, and was obviously very, or Tolstoy who whose entire family kind of hated him. But yet, Nietzsche, probably everyone yeah. hated Nietzsche. <laughs> Yeah, right. there's an alienating factor to people who I think want to just who who understand a new vista of potential human endeavor. Once Newton starts thinking about things like the calculus or the gravitational force, what kind of attitude is he going to have towards an ignoramus in his town who thinks that he's shitty for whatever? Like, it's just going to be like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to get back to the books because this is where I feel at home at least, right? And I feel like there's an element of the genie that you kind of see it in his face a few times where when Aladdin won't tell Jasmine the truth or he's mad at the genie or the genie, like you do see a kind of pity in the face of the genie where the genie's just kind of like, oh, I know where all this goes and yet I can't do anything about it because how am I supposed to just communicate to you phenomenal cosmic powers? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be done. No. You got to go walk that road. So what's the, what's the genie to do other than I guess want to be free. That's what resonated with me. So well. I was like, yeah, the genie is just not going to be able to be on the same level as anyone else. He's going to be funny, but he can't be his phenomenal cosmic powers. At least let me be free. Right. Like that's the genie's attitude. At least wish my freedom so that I can just go and do all of the great things that I maybe can do now in the world. I mean, it just, it kind of breaks down if you think what a genie could do, like it doesn't matter. Right. It's just this idea of that, that freedom to just go follow, like 
probably Isaac Newton or his regeneration would have been able to go back to the books to be free to do that well what if the people around you don't let you do that what if they say hey no this is a heresy we're going to burn your books we're going to burn your house you don't even get to go be free to do the things about your genius that you want to do right yeah well and i think you see that also in like soviet russia or or um, communist china where they slaughtered the intellectuals and there's an envy that people have towards the towards genius, whether great or small, because it has to do with merit. And people don't like to talk about merit. People don't like to talk about that a lot of the differences we see among people just have to do with their capacity and their capabilities. Which is a meritocracy in general. Yeah. I'm not saying that I think society should be a meritocracy, but I think they're, that jealousy and envy are incredibly powerful human emotions. Beware resentment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> is your displeasure based on injustice or resentment? And that's always the first question I try to ask myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so, yeah, the genie... There's that last little part where he's like, when he has a good master like Aladdin, he's good. But when he has a bad master like Jafar, he can't help but be bad. And it's just like, yeah, genius is a tool. It's how you use it again. I think we've talked about that before. But about how um, the genie can be, the genius that you possess can be used to set the genie free or to bring a tyranny (laughs) to the town, right? Yeah. It's 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 how you use it, that is intellect itself right as a tool right yeah and then just a couple little final observations on the movie itself the diamond in the rough the worth that lies far within someone that maybe is surrounded by maybe more ugly things right the cave of wonders wanted the street rat (laughs) and i thought that was a kind of a yeah yeah cool little thing to think about the first prince that whips aladdin when he's protecting the kids says to him you were born a street rat and you will die a street rat and this made me think, like, man, does this, uh, <laughs> does the economy of Agrabah have no social mobility? <laughs> like, how, well, probably how does Aladdin Honestly, it probably didn't have social mobility back then. Yeah. Like, it was, so uh, it, it made me think about, like, how much I value the ethos of being able to improve your situation, right? As opposed to uh, so much of human history where it's just, like, you're basically born in the same conditions you die in. And you don't last very long there. And either. you don't last yeah. long and how grateful i am to have been born in an era and in a society that does allow for uh, a shifting of social mobility and um like a middle class basically (laughs) touch nothing but the lamp so the cave of wonders it's the cave of wonders but it all falls away except the genie or genius right so the where the genie is is actually the only thing that isn't fake in the cave of wonders and i was thought well that ma- that made me think like thinking is the actual real treasure everything else that you might pursue that's more golden like abu does right like abu is so easily fixated on the fake treasure but the only thing that doesn't disappear and turn to wisps in your hand is the genie although he's wispy <laughs> that's just a fun coincidence <laughs> It made me think, oh man, like thinking is the treasure. Like being able to, the integrity of your own mind is the thing that doesn't disappear in your hand when you try to go after it. Yeah. Someone should have told a boo that. Well, and, and <laughs> going to the, the wispiness of the genie, but it's also a re- uh, ethereal. It's ethereal, right? In the sense that thinking is not something you can tangibly point to and and really grasp hold of in the same way that you can the physical treasures of the world yeah. and yet 
the power of thinking is so far beyond the physical treasures of the world, at least for self fulfillment. Your, your mind is well, and this is what obviously this is what makes things like dementia, and Alzheimer's, so tragic. Is that the only thing that won't abandon you in your life is your mind. Possessions come and go. Even people who are in your life, relationship-wise, they can come and they can go. There's a fadingness to it, and a way that fades, like the way the Cave of Wonder does, it collapses. If you fixate on the wrong things, the whole edifice is going to collapse on you. Whereas the thing that doesn't collapse is the genie, mm-hmm. which is, again, I, I'm my interpretation of it is related to a certain vitality of intelligence and thoughtfulness and principled strong-mindedness i would say yeah yeah i agree so anyway we've done good on this what's your my takeaway from my first well, viewing like, yeah what do, you th- what do you think about aladdin what what was the thing that struck you the most about it not uh, weirdly enough it was probably my my rant about love but uh <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i think that's good i would say though that um the other thing that i really took from it from this conversation even more so but was definitely thinking about before was the consequences of lying and how it's just never worth it yeah that was the biggest thing for me too and and how it was so emphasized by the genie tell her the truth and like that would have of course in this scenario that actually would have been the total perfect thing to do because jasmine wanted aladdin she didn't want ali but even if let's say Jasmine did want Ali and not Aladdin and he keeps lying to her eventually she's going to find out it's and even if it's, she it's, never does even if Jasmine didn't want Aladdin it's still the right thing to tell yeah. her because it saves so much more pain down the road or so much internal pain even if you just yeah. he lived that lie his whole life and he would know he was not that yeah because unless you're a i guess unless you're a psychopath yeah <laughs> um aladdin, aladdin, aladdin clearly aladdin. has pricks of conscience and again like deceit pricks our conscience if you are if you are a person with conscience and you are being deceitful you know it's like that little person who lives inside of you who says oh why are you saying that why are you doing that right this is not new this is Socrates talks about this. This is Damon, right? Like the the part the part inside of your head that says, you know what? You didn't quite totally represent reality as honestly as you could have in that situation. You know that, right? Yeah, I think that was my biggest thing from Aladdin was like, tell her the truth. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and just laughing so much at oh, yes. the and, and Abu. how good we didn't talk about Abu, but yeah, he's uh, funny too. He's, he's hilarious. Great. Abu in the carpet. And also just like very meaningfully how full my heart felt after seeing Robin Williams in that movie again. And the way he was as the genie was just so great. Yeah. So, yes, this was all only the animated. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We did not watch the live action film. Yeah. So anyway, this has been another episode of Really True Fiction. We really thank you for listening. Uh, My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. Have a good night. 